page 16 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to use that, and we continue our series, Grace in Living Color, as we look at this end of Genesis 12 to 50. We, uh, we make progress today because we have finished for the bulk of Abraham's story, and we're transitioning into Isaac's story. Isaac's story is an important one as we move through the the chain of events. And as we consider that, Genesis 24, page 16, I'd like for you to start this morning by uh, looking at your kitchen table and looking at a number of crafting patterns. I'm not sure if you're a crafter or not. Crafty, crafter, I'm not even sure, a craft person. Not a craftsman, I'm going with more of the, the sewing and I don't know, even know all that stuff. Stuff. Start with that. Patterns. Crafting patterns on your table. Maybe the stencils. I think stencils were a thing one time, right? Stencils. and Now, there are patterns that you can have on your table that tell you how to do something and then there are examples of stuff that you can put on your table. The patterns tell you how to do it, and the examples give you an idea of what it could or should look like at the end. I will tell you this. This is not in my notes. This is absolutely for free this morning. I love those little um, before and after pictures on, on social media, what it looks like on Pinterest and what it looks like when someone tries to do it. Aren't those hilarious? I feel sorry for the people, but good for them for posting the picture. It's funny. Um, Well, the examples that they saw on Pinterest inspired them, and somewhere along the line, the, the, the pattern didn't quite translate through. Now, if you're not crafty, um, let's think about blueprints and photographs. A blueprint tells you how to build the house, and the photograph just tells you how wonderful it looks at the end. What we've been looking at in Genesis are like the examples and the photographs. We're not commanded to live life just like Abraham. So we've not looked at at Abraham moving from Ur the Chaldees and said, everybody here needs to go move someplace you've never been before, because it's kind of hard to sustain a church that way if you tell everybody to move. Additionally, that's not what we're reading in Genesis 24. We're not being commanded to do that. The blueprint is not move, but the example is God sometimes moves people in ways that they're not entirely sure about, and he's faithful in spite of that. Last week, obviously, we looked at the the example of faith, the photograph of Abraham's faith when he offered his son Isaac. And it would be ludicrous for us to think that we need to do that with one of our children literally to be obeying Genesis chapter 22. Obviously not. But what we see is an example and a photograph. We see this beautiful, we could almost say this video of what faith looks like. This trust, this dependence. And so we continue with that today. We continue with that as we move to Isaac. And we see in three chapters, 24, 25, and 26, that it's one of those instances of like father, like son. Like father, like son, there are great moments of faith. 
like father, like son, there are inexplicable breakdowns of trust and faith. And like father, like son, God is perfectly faithful to Isaac, just as he was to Abraham, and tells him some of the very same things. And we're going to go through this this morning, and we're going to see a number of life situations. And we're going to go through this number of them uh, quickly. And and I will say, I'm sure that there are some of you who are like me. You wish we could take some time to drill down into some of these accounts more and and get into some of the details. And I, I agree with that. As we, as pastors, sat down and mapped out the calendar for the coming months back at the end of the summer, and we considered the holidays, and as we considered our own church circumstances and, uh, and, and the pulpit supply, we needed to move through Genesis and be done the first part of, of December. And so we are moving quickly today, 24, 25, 26, um, 100 and some verses, so we're not going to go verse by verse by verse, name by name by name, but... As we look at these three chapters, we are going to see so many life instances. We are going to be reminded that this God is perfectly faithful in all of life. So we, as the screen tells us, so we who are imperfectly faithful, we can trust him. And we could just throw in there anytime, always. God is faithful in all of life. We're going to see God faithful in a marriage, in death, in birth, in disagreements, in danger. We're going to see God faithful in spite of our own mistakes. And I think it's going to be one of those messages where you're going to find yourself in one of these circumstances. And you're going to be reminded that God is trustworthy, no matter what the situation in life. We go to chapter 24, which is... An incredible story. It's a photograph of faith. It's a video of faith. And it's Isaac and Rebekah. I think we all kind of know the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And we're going to see God is faithful in marriage. And, And how much do we need this? Many of us in this room are married. Not all, but many are married. And Isaac and Rebekah give us the the beginning of their story. Genesis 24 gives us the beginning of Isaac and Rebekah's marriage. But it it gives us hope that if God is so intertwined in the details of the beginning of a marriage, how much does he care about the rest of it? This is a fantastic evidence of God being faithful. Once again, it's not a blueprint of how we should uh, 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 go about finding spouses, but it certainly gives us a great example of trusting God. I want to simply read the first nine verses and then will kind of summarize the other 50-some. Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But, and that's key, don't take a daughter, don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites, but go to my country, my kindred, take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, 
and who spoke to me and swear to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine only. You must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham's master and swore to him concerning this matter. I think obviously we see, even from these short nine verses, that what we're looking at here is an example, and it's not a blueprint. I do think parents should be very involved in young people getting married, but it doesn't happen this way today. Um, I, I am not going to ask, well, I'm not going to hire a servant someday. I have four daughters. Some of you, many of you know that. I have four daughters. And, and I will be very involved in, in their, um, that, that, that marriage process, trusting everything goes as it should. I'm not going to look at them and tell them that. I'll just go home and do it today at lunch. Uh, but my point is, I am not going to hire a servant and have him put his hand under my thigh. That's not the way we're going to do it. Um, that, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable. All right, so, I mean, obviously, there's some details in here that are showing this is not a blueprint, but there are some wonderful details in this, even in the first nine verses that tell us this is an example. Why is Abraham so insistent that his servant not take Isaac back? Because God had specifically communicated to Abraham that Abraham, Isaac, and his family were going to get the promised land. And so they needed to stay there. Now, he had specifically told them that they were going to go into a country and, and serve for 400 years and come back to it. But, but that was an oppression. That was not a voluntary thing. And so when Abraham says, don't let Isaac go back, he's basically saying, we are going to believe what God said, and we're not going to take any actions that would go against that. This is Abraham's strong, grown-up faith. He also does not want his son to have a daughter from among the Canaanites because the Canaanite idolatry is something that's visible all around him. The worst of it showed up in Sodom and Gomorrah, but that was simply the worst. It was not the totality of it. And, and there is, uh, back in Genesis 17, there is this, this, this controlling statement about Abraham. I've chosen Abraham so that his Children and his household will follow me. And this is what Abraham is doing. He is following the Lord in the midst of a pagan culture. And he doesn't one of the, does not want one of the wives from that pagan culture to, to, to be an unequal yoke with his own son. And the promise they have of God's blessing. They are the beginning of a peculiar people. A particular people. That old King James word means particular, redeemed. And, 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 and Abraham, in faith, wants to protect that. Now, how does the story go? We know the story. Uh, the, the, the servant goes off. He makes a, a four to 500 mile journey. He takes 10 camels with him. One of the details is those camels are kind of prominent uh, in the story. I'm going to move this down. He makes this journey. It's going to take about a month, a little less than a month. Goes up, over, and he gets into Haran, and, and he is totally dependent upon the Lord. It's not just Abraham that has faith. 
We're going to note these verses in a little bit. But the servant prays, excuse me, and asks God to work out the circumstances so he knows who he's supposed to take back for his master's son. And the, 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 the situation he lays out is, I, I, I'm going to be thirsty when we get to the end of this journey. Uh, we're going to arrive at Haran. And what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for a drink. And the young lady who offers me a drink, if she offers to water the camels also, then, God, I'm going to trust you that that's the one. Once again, not a blueprint, but an example of faith. Different time period in Bible history. Well, watering the camels is a nice thing to do, but watering the camels is not the required customary thing to do. In that day, if someone asked you for a drink of water, it was, you know, it was socially customary for you to offer them a drink of water because the well wasn't yours, it was someone else's, and so you didn't just take it for yourself. But it was another thing to water someone else's camels. Now, just for fun, and here's the, here's the danger in telling you something fun. This is what you're going to remember. So what you're going to remember, the whole message today, you're going to remember how much camels drink. Don't remember how much camels drink. They drink 15 to 25 gallons of water at a, at a drinking, I don't know. What's the word instead of a feeding? Is it, I don't know. At a watering, thank you. Yes, my wife knows agriculture, I should. 15 to 25 gallons of water at a watering. And there are how many camels? There are 10, and the math is really easy on this one. 150 to 250 gallons of water. 150 to 250 gallons of water. I don't know exactly how this all worked. I'm going to assume that uh, the, the young lady that this servant is imagining, he's, he's imagining she has a one-gallon pitcher. So she's going to make 150 to 250 trips to the well to get water. Uh, that's hard work. That's commitment. That's the second mile, the third mile, the fourth mile. That, that's a lot of good character. It's also kind of a big prayer request, isn't it? Uh, that's, a, that's a fair bit of faith. Let's find a girl who not only offers water to a weary traveler, but is willing to spend. How long would it take to get 150, 250 gallons of water? I'm guessing two and a half to four hours. I don't know. Long time. Long time. She probably just went down to the well to get some water for her family. And so he gets to the end of the journey, uh, and they get to uh, the, 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 the location they've been traveling to. They get to Abraham's family, and your eyes can glance down through, and you see that, as a matter of fact, there is this young lady who's very attractive, and she offers water to the servant in verse 17, and then in verse 18, uh, she gets in that water, verse 19, she says, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran again to the well to draw the water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I'll let you read all the details we go through, and the young lady's name is Rebecca. You knew that already, and she is... 
um, she, she takes the servant to her family, and, and the servant relays all of this, starting in verse 34. I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed him greatly. And, and he tells him what Abraham told him. And then the servant tells the family what he asked God to do. And he says, come on, we all got to see this wonder of wonders. What I prayed happened. And we could let our eyes fall down through the story and we could see in verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel. Laban is Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel is Rebekah's father. Uh, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. God is faithful in marriage. Abraham wanted his son to obey and stay in the land. Abraham wanted his son to not be in an unequal yoke. And here is what God has done. The end of the story is that Rebekah goes with uh, the servant and the caravan and makes that almost month-long journey. She goes with what's called a nurse of hers, a, a, a helper, She goes back and we find the end of the story in verse 62. Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in Negev. He's down in southern Israel. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. The servant told Isaac all of Genesis chapter 24. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What did this servant tell him? Can I just ask you to look at these verses in chapter 24? Look at I want us to see how many times God is begged, depended on, and trusted in this chapter. Look at chapter 24 and verse 12. He said, O Lord God of my master, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master. Chapter 24, verse 21, the man gazed at her. We read this already. Gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Genesis 24, 26, the man, the servant, bowed his head and worship the Lord because his prayer had been answered. The next verse, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Chapter 24 and verse 35, The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he's become great. He's given him flocks, herds, silver, gold, male servants, female servants, camels, donkeys. This is, this is not... Um, This is not a situation of Abraham being such a great businessman that he has all this stuff. Both Abraham and the servant know that this is a blessing from the Lord. In chapter 24 and verse 40, the servant is kind of going back and he's saying what Abraham said. The Lord will send his angel and prosper your way. And in fact, he did. Verse 42, I came today and I prayed to the Lord. The servant continues to Uh, reiterate the servant is not ashamed to tell the whole story 
The servant's not ashamed to tell this family, not knowing what their reception's going to be. He's just unashamed of his faith in God. He's unashamed of Abraham's faith in God. And he's saying, we're God worshipers. We're worshipers of the Lord God. Rebecca would be a great wife, but this is who we are. Chapter 24, verse 44, it continues to recount the story. 48, he comes to the conclusion of it. I worship the Lord. I bless the Lord. We read verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you for good or bad. The Lord is faithful in marriage. Rebecca is before you. Take her, let her go. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And what does Abraham's servant do? He doesn't think, man, I did great. In verse 52, Abraham's servant heard their words. He bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. They want to take about a week and a half to send Rebekah off. And and the servant counters with that. He says, please do not delay me. Verse 56, since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. This is what Isaac heard, and this is what the servant did. God is faithful in marriage. Some of you are just entering marriage. Some of you are going to be married in the next four or five years, six years. Some of you think marriage is so far away, it's a decade away. Some of you are thinking about your own children's marriage. God wants to be faithful in marriage. This is not the blueprint for it, but this is a wonderful picture of God's faithfulness in marriage. We don't live in Abraham's time. We are not Jewish. We don't live in this culture. We're not bound by some of these societal customs. But as we come to the New Testament, we know that God has things to say about marriage that are, that are not pinpoint specific but they are incredibly helpful and incredibly wise and incredibly governing. And I've mentioned the phrase a few different times and the pattern, excuse me, the example is shown to us in this chapter. That is not an unequal yoke. Parents, teens, young adults, God has told us in a variety of aspects in our life not to be unequally yoked, but most specifically, I think, it can apply to marriage. The equal yoke with Jesus as a part of it is easy and is light in spite of the difficulties inherent in marriage, but the unequal yoke, the unequal yoke, most often, not 100% of the time, but most often ends or, or, or progresses with great pain and great discomfort. And great woe. And so Abraham rightly says, don't take a wife from the Canaanites. And so we as parents would be wise to be praying and to be teaching and to be relating so that our children will not, quote unquote, take a wife from the Canaanites. This is an act of faith. This is an act of faith because the heart loves what the heart loves. Because we see affection, we see that someone and, and, and we just want their affection and we want to be with them. We see our children in that situation and we just want them to be happy. It is an act of faith. An act of faith to not take a wife from the Canaanites. And God is faithful as we pursue that obedience in faith. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You may not understand how it's going to work out. 
but God is perfectly faithful. We move to chapter 25. We move to chapter 25 and we see briefly that God is faithful in the golden years. Verses 1 through 6 tell us about Abraham's uh, life after Sarah passes away. He takes another wife named Keturah or Keturah, depending on how someone might pronounce it. And what God does is he gives him more children who end up becoming more uh, uh, people groups and more tribes. This is in fulfillment of God's blessing to make Abraham a great nation. But in obedience to God's blessing, in in obedience to God's covenant, it says in verse uh, number 6, to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. He does this because, in verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Why? He's not showing favorites. He's obeying what God has told him. It is through Isaac that the blessings will come. In these golden years, uh, Abraham is not simply coasting into um, his reward, but he's actively in faith and in obedience making choices about the future for the good of his son and in display of his faithfulness to God. Briefly, how will we spend our golden years? How are we spending our golden years? Do we believe God is faithful in our golden years? Many of you are in those years. They're good. They're not what the years were before. But in Abraham's case, he has grown his faith and he's acting in that. And, and it's encouraging to me to see as we get toward the end of Abraham's life, the ups and downs are not there. It's not automatic because you get old, the ups and downs are gone. But it can be the case as you mature that the ups that the obedience is there. One of the things I was talking with a friend about this week was the tremendous opportunity. The tremendous opportunity for those of you who are in your 60s and 70s and beyond to invest in those who are many, many decades younger. God is faithful in your golden years, and you have seen many things. You've seen God's faithfulness. You've seen your own unfaithfulness. You've seen God grow your faithfulness. You have things that we need to learn who are younger. And Titus chapter 2 tells us that the older women are to teach the younger women, and the older men are to teach the younger men. And, And we've seen this in our church, and we need for it to be perpetually in motion. My own life, great, great family. My folks are here this weekend. Love them. They added so much. But God also put into my life other people. I can remember one, uh, remember one in particular. I, I wrote about him on Facebook a, a number of months ago when he passed away. Um, older man, um, one of my teachers just for a year or so. But he, 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 just, he just kept up with me, and he kept up with other, other students, too, who were believers. I was in a public school at the time. And he kept up, and, and he'd, uh, he'd give money, he'd pray. And, and, and there are situations I can think of people here 
who've done that. We, we've heard stories recently about that. And those things just need to keep going. They, they're, they're like planting crops every year. We yield the fruit as we continually plant. And, and it is, I know, it is an act of faith for folks in their 60s, 70s, and 80s to try and invest in younger people because, because you don't see the reception right away. It's an act of faith. You, you don't see that you're having an impact right away. And you wonder if, if you're even having any sort of impact. I like to plant grass. I don't know why. It's not a problem yet. You put seeds in the ground. Some of you garden. You put seeds in the ground and you wonder if anything's happening. Growing stuff is an act of faith. You wonder if anything's happening. And you water it. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I go out there in the morning and I water and I come home at night and I'm like, are the seeds up yet? Anything? Any sprouts? And the next morning I do the same thing. I have a problem. And, and they, they come up eventually, don't they? They come up eventually. It's an act of faith. Older women teaching younger women is an act of faith. Older men investing in younger men is an act of faith. And, and the rewards and the fruit are not immediate, but if you keep it up and the soil is good, fruit will come. God is faithful in your golden years. Please be faithful in your golden years in response back. God is faithful next, verses 7 through 11, in death. It's not a topic we like to talk about. But we find out in, in chapter 25 and verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. We looked at that last week. This is the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahiroi. God is faithful in death. No, we, we don't want to think about it. As a pastor, I am, I am often brought into situations where a loved one has passed away. One of the things they don't quite prepare you for in seminary, that you're going to be faced with people's passing, with people's deaths, on a regular basis. Yes, it does make me think about my life, but it honestly also makes me think about your funeral, what will your funeral be like? It's an interesting thing sometimes we ask, how was the funeral? We're being polite, we are. How was the funeral? And I, I've, I've come to say that the funeral of unbelievers is difficult. It's difficult when there's no faith because there's no hope except to declare the hope that's available for those who are still alive. The funerals of unbelievers are difficult. The funerals of believers are good. The funerals of believers are good because there's hope, 
Because there's eternity, because there's future. Because whether their life was uh, 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 great faith or mixed faith, it was good. And the funeral of good believers is great. It's great. Because you get to talk about not just the goodness of God in, in, in theory, but you get to talk about the faithfulness and goodness of God in reality. In, 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 in flesh and bone, not that that person is God, but God has worked in them and they invested in other people and they, they were selfless and they gave and they talked about the Lord. I mean, we've had funerals like that here. You can remember them. Some of them pack out the place and some of them are small. But the funerals of good believers are great because they were focused on a faithful God. And 175 years later, 100 years after we meet him, 100 years after we meet Abraham in Genesis 12, he passes away. And his life is a sterling example of a really rough start. Mixture of faith-filled obedience and a mixture of faithless foolishness. But we come to the end. It's good. Interestingly enough, Hebrews tells us this about Abraham's passing. These all, Abraham and Sarah, if you read the verses before, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, <laughs> having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But the people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland if they'd been thinking that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham died with a lot, but Abraham did not die with everything he ever wanted. Because what he wanted most couldn't be found here. Somewhere else. That imperfect faith grew into a mature, strong faith. And God was faithful to his 175th year. We move ahead to chapter 25, verse 19. We find that God is faithful in birth. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, like father, like son. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, if I am blessed to have children, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. These, these two, for 20 years, asking the Lord, dependent in faith on the Lord. And verse 23 says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two people from within you. 
shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And here we begin to see the like father, like son, the, the, pray, the, the, the prayers of faith mixed with the, mixed with, well, God said that the one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger, but Isaac loved the older and Rebekah loved the younger. And here we see a mixed faith even in Isaac. We see a mixed faith that we're not going to delve into today. We'll look at it more next week because it is so part and parcel of next week's passage. Pardon me. What we'll say for now is we'll note the great faith of Isaac in praying for a child. We'll note that God is faithful in birth. We have seen this throughout the book of Genesis so far. It's a topic that is difficult for us to consider at times because the pain of infertility is very strong and very personal. We look at this because God is faithful in birth, not just in giving children, but in the way he, he, he brings them and us up. And we just see simply once again that God is faithful in all of life. And so we can trust him. Though imperfect, we can trust him at any time. I'm going to move quickly into chapter 26 as we finish. God is faithful in danger. Isaac is in a situation similar to his father. There's a famine in the land in chapter 26. This is beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Uh, This is about 90 years after uh, Abraham's encounters with Abimelech. So we think that this is a a family name or maybe even a title, uh, this name Abimelech. Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father, like father, like son, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. In the midst of God being faithful to Isaac in the danger of a famine, we find once again this repeated promise that in Abraham and Isaac's family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. All the nations of the earth were cursed back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. God graciously told them, uh, actually told the serpent, that he was going to get his head crushed someday. And that is what Adam and Eve had to hang on to. It was the serpent who ruined their innocent, wonderful life with God. And someone was going to come someday. What we find here later in the book of Genesis is that someone 
who's going to bless the entire earth is going to come through Abraham and going to come through Isaac. God repeats this promise to Isaac. He repeats it to him at a key time when, when Isaac, who is the, he's the, the, the heir, he has received the inheritance of this vast family business, and now there's a famine, and his business relies upon water for crops and water for animals. He's in danger. In danger of starvation. He can't go to Giant. He can't go to Acme. He can't go to Redner's. He goes out to his herds. And God says, I'm going to protect you. Don't go down to Egypt. I'm going to protect you. God is faithful in danger. As I read these verses, I think of what John Newton penned centuries ago. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What sort of danger are you feeling this morning? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, God brought John Newton. We could spend probably hours talking about the the various difficulties God has brought us through. And right now, I understand you don't see how it's going to work out. I don't know exactly how God will work it out. He will, though, in some way, He will put you in a place that He will let you know about, and there you will be blessed if you're following Him. God is faithful in danger. God is faithful next, we see, in spite of our own mistakes. It's hard to believe what we're going to read in verses 6 through 11, but we've seen this before, like father, like son. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Like father, like son. They have attractive wives. Some of you have fun with that whole attractive old wife thing. You've told me about that. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. We might use the word flirting. It would be, it would be accurate. It would fit the sense of the word. Some of you have a, a little, um, little footnote there at the word laughing. Uh, so when Abimelech sees this, in verse 9, he called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. It's obvious. Come on, dude. Right? How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Like father, like son, Isaac needs to grow in his faith as well. And we're reminded that if our faith is immature, it needs to grow as well. It grows by the Word. And the Word comes to us, yes, through preaching on Sundays, but the Word comes to us in good music that we sing on Sundays and good music that we listen to throughout the week. The Word comes to us as we take time to read it. The Word comes to us as we take time to listen to it, perhaps on our commute. The, the Word comes to us as, as fathers or mothers speak it to their children. The Word comes to us as we may listen to a pastor or a podcast. 
The Word comes to us, and the Word is not inconsequential. The Word is meant to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so that we live by faith instead of living by sight. Because Isaac was looking around, and he saw his pretty wife, and he saw a bunch of what he thought were ungodly people, and he looked around and he thought, this is bad, I've got to fix this. But when we walk by faith, when we walk by faith, God will be faithful. God's faithful in disagreements. I'm not going to read the end of the chapter, but you can see how God blesses Isaac in spite of opposition. We've talked about faith much today. I want to end with four verses. I'm going to read Read these four verses. 1 John 5, why do we need faith? Why do we need to grow in faith? Because 1 John 5 tells us, everyone who's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Conversion is the first point, believing Jesus is the Son of God who came and died in our place. Conversion is the beginning of the life of faith. And as we live a life of faith, we learn God's faithfulness to be more and more perfect. Galatians 2.20, And now, the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Faith converts us, but faith doesn't stop then. This is Paul. Paul's been saved 10 or 15 years when he writes these words. And he says, the life that I'm now living, I live by faith. I've got to keep trusting God. I've got to keep believing that His power is better than mine. I've got to keep letting His Holy Spirit transform me as the rest of Galatians says. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 doesn't say faith. Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter, and it tells us what faith does. What does faith do? Faith considers Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. You're to consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I hope that there are many of you in here who just get sick and tired of fighting your own sin nature. And I hope this verse is a help to you. What do you do when you get sick and tired? Do you give up? No, you consider Jesus who endured all this to the point of shedding blood for your sin and you consider him so that you do not grow weary and faint-hearted. This is why faith is so important. This is why faith is so important. And we end with Colossians 2. We end with Colossians 2. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built it up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, keep walking in Him. Have faith. Trust. Because this This God who is perfectly faithful in all of Abraham and Isaac's life circumstances. He wants to be faithful in your life circumstances. And our response back is to trust him at any time. Trust him at any time. And we will see as we trust that faith growing stronger.
we will see God in all of his beautiful faithfulness. Let's bow to respond to God's word individually. I invite you to take the next 30, 45 seconds to pray about the life situation you find yourself in and your faith in that. And after we pray for a little bit, we'll receive our offering for the joiners.